This episode of the FitCast is brought to you by Pedestal Footwear, the company that has engineered the ultimate footwear for those of us that want to train hard and have a great training experience with the benefits of barefoot training, but also getting the protection and the grippiness of wearing their fantastic sock. Check them out at pedestalfootwear.com. Hello, welcome back to the FitCast. My name is Kevin Larrabee, and back on the show, it's been far too long. It's been too damn long. I got Adam Bornstein on the show. Adam, how you doing? I'm doing great. It's been ages. Right. I mean, that's. it seems like an outdated term, but I think ages is really the only the only one that makes sense here. Well, I, it, it's, it's, it, it's one of those things where... I kind of get wrapped up in, in my own world and like, you, you know, like the industry is huge and sometimes it just takes like, you know, it was probably a couple of things. It was like me talking with John a couple of weeks ago. Then like, you know, again, I'm, I follow you on Twitter. So I'm always like reading your stuff and checking out your stuff. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's not, I just, I'm constantly feel like I'm talking to you because I'm reading your material, but no, I actually need to get Adam back on the show so we can talk about this and share it with the audience as well. Well, I appreciate it. It's always good to be back. Well, it's been, I don't want to say two years. It might've been two, maybe two years, but um, I I think it's been three, (laughs) three years. Okay. Well, it was probably, it was probably, it was probably for the book release, right? Yeah. So it was for the book release and the book release would be three years ago. Wow. So, I mean, engineering the alpha. So let's, let's, let's start off with that because, you know, it has been, it has been a couple of years since that, that book came out. And I mean, that book was huge for you guys. I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, that much time apart. Uh, are there any kind of like lessons that you learn from such a big release? And when you're reaching so many people, uh, with a book like that, uh, I think there's lessons in every, in everything that you do. The, uh, the biggest one that I learned from that is no matter how many people you think you give your manuscript to, there's probably still a few more that you should give it to and have them read mm. it over. Uh, I, I tell everyone all the time, it's funny, I coach writing and copywriting and so much of what I do now is consulting with businesses mm-hmm. that it's, it's funny that, you know, practicing what you preach while very cliche is very easy to forget. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a lot of things that I could take away from that book. But when I look at it from, let's say, a business writing standpoint, I had all of our writer, our editors check it out, but I didn't really give it to enough people who were close to me who would have caught uh, some things that uh, were pretty, well, for me, they were egregious. The, the biggest one being like, if I would have handed this, I handed it to all the people in the writing universe, but not enough of the fitness coaches. I could have handled mm. it, to, handed it to any of my, my mentors in this business. And they would immediately been like, Hey, Adam, uh, you kind of forgot a warm up in this book. Is that intentional? No. no, no, it actually wasn't intentional. But, uh, after we published it and everyone read it, I did get asked it about a thousand times. And mm. I was like, how? Did I write this entire book, read it like a hundred times over and and just miss that? And you end up focusing on everything else and uh, you forget the minor details. And I do think that is probably applicable to everything in life and any big project you take on, you, you become hopefully so focused on doing it well that sometimes the little details that are so obvious uh, can easily escape the mind. And I do think that happened in a couple places. Still very proud of the book, love the way that it turned out. But the simple task of just sharing with friends or people you know, mm-hmm. anything that you're putting a lot of time or effort into is, uh, is always probably worthwhile. 
I mean, that's a, that's an absolutely massive, massive project that you, there's so many like moving pieces, I have to guess. And like, there's, when, even when you're putting it together, I don't know, do you have like the, the book in like chunks? And then at the end, that's like kind of when you, you put all the Lego blocks together and you, you make what you're putting together. So I've done nine books now, some since that, and uh, I've gotten more into ghostwriting. So some people I can talk about that I've written for others. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what makes me a ghost. You don't even know that I'm involved. <laughs> and I, I definitely got much better at the book process. And it was it was a pretty refined process. But, you know, the analogy really doesn't work for me anymore. But I always say that writing a book was like giving birth mm-hmm. because that's what it felt like because it's such a laborious process. And I held to that. Uh, comparison until my wife actually gave birth to her first child. Then I'm like, I really can't make this comparison anymore because real childbirth is way more intense than, than writing a book. So I need, I need uh, my new comparison there. My new, but that, that was the closest thing I had because for me, that it really does start with a central concept. It's like, uh, if I'm going to write a book, I have to be able to pitch it in two sentences. It's that elevator pitch approach. Mm-hmm. And from that everything stems like what is the narrative uh who am i trying to address it's almost like building a business is the best Mm -hmm. way if you are building a business you want to make sure that you understand your core competencies you want to understand why you are building that business who are you or who who you are trying to help and how you're going to help them and i start with that fundamental issue now with writing books and make sure that every chapter plays back to that uh Mm -hmm. I, i you know, writing a book on any level, whether it's a fitness book or other, is about storytelling. And I've had the uh, joy of being able to meet and learn from some great storytellers and also be able to to learn the art of writing. Or You know, storytellers happens in, in many different ways. You know, movie makers are storytellers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, it's been said that, you know, great movies are ones that have no wasted scenes. Uh, and I think when, when writing, you almost want to do the same thing, especially with a book. You don't want any wasted scenes. It might seem like there's no disconnect, but it, it has to be kind of pulling back into that central thesis, playing an integral role. And uh, that, that's kind of the, you know, the more that you're able to keep that focus throughout, it doesn't matter if you, know, you write in chunks or one chapter here, one chapter there, and you end up putting the puzzle pieces together. You always want to make sure that you've got no wasted scenes. Hmm. Well, uh, let's stick on this for, for, for a couple of minutes because, you know, I'm always very intrigued on the, the business side of things, you know, these days and how to reach our audience and all that. And, um, I guess maybe, okay, there's two things I want to ask and I may be asking this out of order, but, um, you know, you're very much like a curator of, of content now with the, with the ghostwriting and what you are just doing in terms of, you know, getting great information out there for, for people. So, um, we live in a world where, everyone has the ability to talk to their audience or talk to whoever follows them, whether it be on Twitter, on Facebook, Instagram, whatever. And, you know, they have the ability to spread whatever, whatever information that they want, whether it be right, wrong or whatever. So, um, I guess my question for, for you is, uh, how have you, how have you curated your, you're, you're like BS meter because you know, there, there's so many things and there's so many people in this industry that are trying to figure out their angle of how they're selling themselves or what they do to try to differentiate themselves from everyone else. So, um, I, I guess, how do you look at that stuff? Uh, that, I mean, that is a very loaded question. Uh, and it's a good one. I mean, it's really, uh, born fitness is still my baby. I would say I spend a lot more time with uh, my consulting firm that I created, which is called Pen Name. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, we work with big media companies, we work with small businesses, we work with uh, everyone in between. 
uh, we're, we're kind of we're hosting an event in uh, uh, in September. Or actually, that's a lie. September is my birthday and my anniversary. We're hosting an event in August. Clearly, <laughs> I need more coffee right now. Uh, designed for just this exact question. That uh, and you made a good point. You said like, how are people going to sell essentially like the the brand or what they're doing when the focus really needs to be on what value are they driving? The more you focus mm. on the value that you're going to drive the more that you're going to attract the right type of audience because people get obsessed with absolute audience. They get obsessed with numbers. I need to have this many followers or this many people visiting my blog or this many people downloading my podcast. Where Where the focus really needs to be on what can I do that will drive the most value to the person that I feel I can help the most. And you might find that you can do a lot of different things to drive a lot of different value to a lot of different people. And that might be uh, an approach that you take, but you, you know, it's getting that very, very concentrated focus on, you know, where, where is the value? How do you drive it? And either how can you do it in a way that is not currently being done mm-hmm. or how can you do it in a way that is better, more efficient, more effective than what's already being done? And that's the question that any content curator, uh, business expert, whatever it might be needs to ask themselves because people try to, everyone loves to hack the system per se. Whereas, you know, at the end of the day, there is no hacking a system because uh, any hack is usually going to be uh, short-term instant gratification uh, Mm. rather than long-term success. And I would rather play the long game. I would rather, you know, go ahead and take that focus of, I don't care if it's just a hundred people that, that love my stuff initially. If they truly love it, that 100 people is going to become a thousand. It's going to become ten thousand. It's mm-hmm. going to become a million because it's so good. Uh, a great, uh, a great book to read is a, a Thousand True Fans by Kevin Kelly. Mm-hmm. This whole idea that you know you really want to uh, build that a thousand true fans, people that are so passionate about what you do that they are willing to invest their own social capital and tell their friends, tell their peers, tell mm-hmm. their family members, and that they are basically putting their referral behind it. And that's the way that you should v- view whatever you're doing. Where, what can you? drive the most value to not where is the greatest opportunity. Cause that's what a lot of people try and do. You know, great example in the fitness space is, you know, Oh, five, 10 years ago, like eBooks became really big. So everyone's just like, Oh, I got to make this free eBook and throw it up there and use it as a lead magnet. So lots of people could, you know, get on my email list and then I'll be able to sell them, you know, direct market to them and, and sell them products. And like the, the mousetrap is, you know, it works in terms of, uh, trading a free product for the ability to sell them later. Mm-hmm. But the conceit is broken. If you're just if you're selling a product that ultimately isn't that great, or an ebook, or it's not what you do your best, people will inevitably see through that, and it won't be as good as it could be. And when it comes time to sell to them, you're probably not going to be that successful because it's it's not that great. And mm-hmm. uh, for me, my own personal brand, getting back to your to your bigger question, you know, the, the BS meter is that you know I kind of understood my place in uh, the fitness industry about, I would say like four or five years ago, and it's become more and more refined in terms of the service that I provide. You know, we Mm -hmm. both know many of the smartest people in the industry, people who have been mentors, I think, to both of us, people like Eric Cressy, people like Mike Boyle, uh, you know, Bill Hartman, Mike Robertson, Alan Cosgrove, Jason Fruccia. Like I could go on and on and on with the people that I uh, learn from and continue to learn from. Dean Somerset's another one who's just Mm -hmm. been blowing my mind recently. And these people are incredibly good at what they do. And I spend my time and my money learning from them, going and just like trying to absorb as much as possible. But mm-hmm. I will never be them. I will never be as smart as Eric 
or Bill or Mike in certain things that they do. And I'm okay with that. And if people come to me, I am more than happy to refer them. But Mm -hmm. my skill is is more about translating some of the information, a portion of the information that is, say, most applicable to the general public. Uh, That's why I've become and I'm so involved in mainstream media because the type of person who, you know, might learn from, say, Eric and and get the most out of him might be a different type of person who, you know, is only going to get their information from a men's health or a men's fitness. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that Eric doesn't belong in those magazines because he does. I put them in. I put him in those magazines. <laughs> right. But there's only a portion of that stuff. Like if you read a lot of Eric's stuff or Mike's stuff or, or Bill Hartman's stuff, like those guys are so smart. I feel like I need like anatomy textbooks around me at all times. And this mm-hmm. is my background. Like, and they can help people who are higher level, level thinkers. My job is to, to help out the weekend warriors. My people, my job is to help out the people who can only work out three days a week or who mm-hmm. don't understand that much about fitness, but fitness is important to them. And then it's my job to curate and filter information and then use these experts as ways to uh, play devil's advocate to make sure that I'm providing a balanced account of, of what we know mm-hmm. and be honest about what we don't know. Because there's a lot that we don't know and when things change, it's not my job to just sit here steadfastly and argue that I'm correct or that I know everything. It's my job to deliver good information, even if that means admitting that I was wrong earlier. I mean, and you can see that one of the first books I ever wrote talked about the importance of breakfast and how it was necessary. The book even recommended having two breakfasts a day. Now, can that work for people still? Of course. But I talked about it in too much of an absolute dogmatic way mm-hmm. that was like hurtful that people like literally thought if they did not eat breakfast or eat two breakfasts, they would become fat or that, <laughs> like, or that, or that you know, that was the most important way to gain muscle. Mm-hmm. And what I've just become much better that is helping people identify uh, what works because there are many options. There is no one, you know, magic bullet and then help them figure out why or why not it might not work for them or their body or their lifestyle. And I can play that intermediary where, uh, it, it's the application of information. My focus with everything that I create is how do I help you apply this information that seems interesting? You want to know more about it, but there might be a, you know, a gap between reading and thinking something is cool and then understanding if it's best for you and if it is how to apply it to your life. I, uh, man, that's resonating uh, a lot with me because I, I mean, you must feel the same way about your writing as I do about, you know, this show, like we're talking about, yeah, this is like 392 episodes and the, this is like, this is my child. This is the thing that I'm protective of and the people in the audience is, is what I am protective of because the last thing that I want is to have someone come on here and, you know, be, you know, spouting a bunch of crap and then uh, our poor information, misinformation, uh, and then my whole audience is affected by, by that. I do the same thing with my sponsors. Like I don't, I've turned down sponsors for years because I just haven't found one that, you know, I thought was, you know, reputable enough to, to subject my audience to what they are, what they're trying to sell because that's, you know, I'm basically putting my, my stamp on that stuff, um, as well. But luckily got a great sponsor, Pedestal Footwear as you guys have probably already heard. But um, so I'm trying to think, you, you hit on a ton of things there that I want to uh, go back to. And, and one was the, you know, it is, it, okay, let me gently put this as there is, there is a, a subset of the industry of people that are there to help other coaches and trainers make more money. And a lot of it is from the 
is from the best coming from the best place. They're they're just trying to like, hey, you guys are wasting your time doing this, this, and this. You know, here, this is a way that you can more efficiently use your time. This is a way that you can better reach your audience. But you brought up the whole ebook thing and how, you know, there's you know, sometimes things that are popping up I see on Facebook of like, you know, advertisements and sponsors that, you know, how to how to write your first ebook and make your first like, you know, hundred thousand dollars. And like, is that really what we should be telling the young writers, the young fitness, uh, or trainers, even just the people that are starting to get into the, the online space in terms of sharing their content, trying to reach a new audience. Um, what should, what should we be telling those people to make it, uh, to help them succeed, make more money, but also not completely sell out and make like, uh, an ebook where again, like you said, people can see right through that and they completely lose credibility. There's just, there, there's too much focus on the money and not enough focus on like being a master of, uh, you know, your, your own craft, mm-hmm. you know, it, there is this, this huge issue with, uh, just the best way to put it, if you're starting out in any industry, uh, you would not go straight to CEO. Right. right. You wouldn't. I mean, you, you have to earn your stripes and it's the same thing in any single industry. And again, we talked about creating value, adding value. And the biggest issue is that, you know, you, how can you possibly add value to what you are doing if you haven't like learned how to master that craft? I'm going to, mm-hmm. you know, butcher this, but there's, you know, there's a quote that, you know, you, you essentially... I don't even want to try it. So I'm going to not butcher the quote and instead <laughs> just share the message of, you know, in, in order for you to go ahead and sell what you are doing to people or what you are offering people, you should be good enough that you have complete confidence that you can help them mm-hmm. and help them in the best way possible. Because to me, the most important metric from a business standpoint, and again, I'm not anti-business in any way. Again, it's not, I run a consulting company where it's my job to grow businesses, you know, the focus for me is always on how do you take yourself to a level where people are not going to, the hardest thing is to get that first sale. The easiest thing is to get a second sale. If you do your job, right. I look at lifetime value. LTV is the most important metric to me because if someone buys something from me, I want them to buy from me for life. Mm -hmm. And you can only feel good about that. If you put your position, your business in a position to succeed, uh, so, I mean, there, there was, I could have gone into the online space a long time ago and started selling, uh, online training or eBooks, but I didn't because I wanted to know that the things that I would do, uh, remotely in an online platform would be as effective as it was that if I was training people in person. So I essentially did what you would call a beta. And for two years, I trained and coach people online in addition to what I would do in person to make sure that I would understand, uh, how I could drive that value. Because if I would have just gone to market with my online coaching services, uh, having just tried to transfer in person to online, I think I would have failed because mm-hmm. there's so much I learned in the process of going through the steps of there are advantages to doing coaching online, but there are also disadvantages. Uh, obviously that are, some of those are pretty obvious of not being there to work uh, with people through. So, I invested the time in making sure that I knew how to drive the most value to people uh, rather than just trying to learn how to market. And once I knew the product was going to be amazing, then the focus could become on 
how to market, how to build a business. Uh, any type of entrepreneur and really any type of professional needs to learn both sides. They need to learn how to master their craft and they need to learn how to promote and market their, their craft because if not, you know, <laughs> you know, if you don't toot your own horn, it doesn't make a sound. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of people who are anti-marketing and I'm not anti-marketing. I, I just think there's an order of operations and the order of operations to become really good at what you do and then not only become really good, then f- make sure that what you think you're really good at actually works, put in the extra time and then go out and, uh, you know, share it with other people. So the rush shouldn't be on making money because again, it's, it's, it's short term. The rush should be on becoming good enough that when you know you're going to be selling something, People are going to buy it and they're going to come back for more. Okay. I'm going to back it up with another loaded question. Um, so there, you know, again, there, there's, there's ways for people to get access to so many different voices in the industry today. And, you know, usually if someone is really into this stuff, if they're listening to this show, they're probably not just following, you know, myself or you, they're following, you know, a hundred different people that all are, you know, have different methodologies. They have different ways of trying to get the points across that they're trying to, to, uh, to hit on. So, um, what, I mean, I guess my question with, with this subject is, what, what advice do you have for, for the audience when it comes to filtering out, again, the, the crap that they could be seeing from, from potential like new up-and-comers or something like that, people that don't have a reputation, like you said, of like an Eric Cressy or, or a Mike Boyle or a Bill Hartman or something like that um, to make sure that they're not just kind of following uh, a bunch of snake oil stuff? So the question, uh, is it for the professionals or the consumers? For the consumers, Uh, Like things that they can watch out for, because I I know you mentioned some of the warning signs like, hey, like, look at my new, you know, like free ebook on how to, you know, whatever. Um, But, you know, I'm always kind of like seeing constant, constant streams of stuff on on again on on social media where like, man, I really hope people aren't taking what this person is saying to heart or they're they're not following these instructions because um, hell, this is just this is just wacky crap. It's it's tough. Uh, yeah, no, I, 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 I mean, know. It's, it's, it's really, really tough because it's hard to tell the, the good stuff from the crap. And at the end of the day, I think. Cause you can shine up that crap real nice. You can get like some really good graphics in there. You can put together a really nice looking, you know, product, but you know, again, have the information be pretty hollow. Yeah. Um, it's, <laughs> I would say that, you know, it, you know, best practices in general is that, you know, you, you shouldn't buy something until you've probably consumed some free content from someone or read enough stuff that you feel you can trust them. Like mm-hmm. it's like, it's like anything, you know, you never want to go in blind or you can work off of some basis of referral. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, like a lot of, you know, referral is very, very powerful and it should be referral from someone who has no vested interest. Hmm. You know, and that's not to say that people, you know, who don't make money off of affiliate and stuff like that, you know, it's, it's not how I make money or I, you know, choose to go about running my business. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I, I want to make sure that there isn't uh, a disingenuous interest in, uh, you know, why I'm doing something. So I think, you know, the power of referral uh, is very important and the power of just being patient. Uh, you know, if this is anything in health and fitness, obviously I don't want people to wait to take action, but you, you should be a diligent consumer. And most people who are willing to sell something should obviously be willing to give something for free. So you want to make sure you read content from them and it makes sense. And then, you know, it can be verified in other places or that you try out a program and see that you like it. You know, 
almost kind of do the, you know, before you just cannonball into the pool, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's okay to dip your toe in. It's okay to ask around and ask questions and be a diligent consumer. So it's less an indictment of the fitness industry and more about, you know, what are your consumer behaviors? We all purchased something that uh, didn't work out for us the way that we wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've all, we, we all been sold a lemon before at some point in our life. And if we look back, it was like, could I have been more diligent in the process of vetting this? And, and in fitness, it's a lot of times it's the, like, if it's too, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Right. Uh, I mean, that's just the reality. So like people who will like sell you everything under the sun, uh, you want to be weary of that. Uh, and I apologize for, for kind of going back backwards uh, a little bit, but, um, you know, they're hitting off of what you're talking about, like people going for going for the, the money first and not kind of focusing on the content and then working their way forward. Um, you know, I just from the podcast side of things, like now I've, I've helped a lot of people set up their podcasts and it seems like every, everyone has a podcast now in, in the fitness industry, which is, which is great because, you know, a lot of it is just fantastic information, getting out to more people. And, you know, I, the, maybe more emails that I get today instead of how do I start a podcast is how are you making money? How how you, how how'd yeah. that Patreon stuff get, get going? How do, what do you do for sponsorships? And I'm like, man, I didn't, I didn't ask for money for eight years. Right. You know, like if you're in the, especially for podcasting stuff where that it's hard to track like analytics of, you know, the, uh, for sponsors and, and things like that. Um, it is, it was really a case of, you know, making sure that you have a bunch of awesome free content. And then, sorry, like my career took off in a different direction, like to make sure I could maintain this stuff. It's like, yeah, like I, I kind of need to make this a little bit more of a job, even though I love doing it, I kind of have to justify it with some, some help. And I have had a lot of help through Patreons and, uh, now with this, uh, sponsorship from, from pedestal. So, uh, you know, again, just kind of, you know, echoing off what, what you're saying, like if you're getting into this stuff just for the money, it's really kind of a bad place to start, right? It's a terrible place to start. I mean, we talk about this actually quite frequently when it comes to books, when it comes to coaching. But you know, everyone always likes to look at things as like an overnight success. Like, wow, you did this. And it was like when when we, you know, for a lot of people, because when I did Engineering the Alpha, a lot of the books that I did were either co-authored or ghostwritten or mm-hmm. didn't have the same, you know, they did well. I had a couple uh, Amazon bestsellers, but I never had a New York Times bestseller. People were like, wow, you did this book. And like, it just, you just got it out of nowhere. Cause it was John's first book. But it was like, for me, I was like, this was like, I called it the 10 year overnight success. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Gary V talks about this a lot. Like no one mm-hmm. sees the hustle that he put in over time. No one sees the hustle that you put in and doing 300 plus episodes before you got to this level. You know, uh, Tim Ferriss has talked about, you know, his podcast has been growing a lot and he wrote a, a blog post about it where he was saying that, you know, everyone's always asking about money and he's like, his first thing is don't even think about money until you can at least get a hundred thousand downloads even per episode mm-hmm. because it's like, because like you need to know that people actually love this stuff and that you're good at it. You know, we, we talk about, you know, before we jumped on here and I was telling you that I you know have complete blind faith in you leading this interview because you know, you've put in the reps. Life is a game of reps. Mm-hmm. And if you try to cheat the system, that's usually when you fail. I mean, we, we see it all the time with fitness programs. You know, people want to do a program for four weeks and be like, Hey, why is my body not completely transformed? And I'm like, well, <laughs> You gotta, you gotta put in a lot more time, a lot more effort, and a lot more reps. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that, that's that's kind of the way that I focus on it. Like, if you're playing the long game again, the way that you've done with your podcast, the way that I've done with my business, the way that uh, a lot of great people think, it, it, it's you know the, the instant gratification. It's it's all a facade. 
uh, you know, if you're doing something, you do it because it is your baby, because you do care. You talk about turning down all the, you know, the advertisers that just weren't the, uh, the right fit. I mean, I can't tell you, I get people who email me every single day who want to run ads on born fitness. And I'm mm-hmm. just like, you know, I'm not saying I'm anti-ad, but I mean, it's really got to be the right fit. It's got to not ruin the content experience. Exactly. It's got to not make me feel like a, a sellout. It's just, it, it, I value the user experience enough that them enjoying the content I provide, them feeling that it is a trusted, trusted safe space where they can go and read stuff about fitness or nutrition or about lifestyle is more important than me making some money that in the long scheme of things isn't necessarily going to help me do what I'm trying to do, which is help more people. And, and until that offer comes around that can help more people and helping more people means not disrupting that service means not selling out means being, you know, genuine, uh, with what the overall mission is. I mean, you just, you want to create synergy in everything that you're doing and have clear focus. And there are a lot of different ways to go about doing that. There are a lot of different ways that you can go about helping people. Uh, but uh, you should always have that at heart because I, I, I do believe that you know people are very skeptical about being sold to. People uh, invest their their time and their energy and things that they want to trust. So your job shouldn't be on figuring out how to sell something to someone. Your job should be figuring out like how do I build a relationship with someone? How do I build a relationship to get to that point? And you know I can even tell you that you know I survey all the people who go through my online coaching program, the ones that stay with me for six plus months, which is really where we see the best results are the ones that have been following me for two years or more before, uh, they ever decide to work with me. And I don't Mm -hmm. do outbound marketing. I don't sell to people. Mm -hmm. I try to provide as much free content and let them decide if they want to work with me because I think, I mean, that's kind of the way that I run my business. And, uh, you know, every now and then if there's a sale or something like that, I'll, I'll let them know about it. But I'm not hammering people with, uh, you know, messages about wanting them to buy, 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 because I think that if I'm providing a good enough quality and, and reaching people, uh, if they feel I'm a good fit for them, uh, that's the situation I want to be in. It can't just be a, a one way street. Any type of interaction is always two ways. And I want people to love what they're feel good that, you know, that any money they put into me is going to have a much higher ROI. It's going to be worth it. They're never going to regret a dollar they spent with me. And if they never decided to spend a dollar with me, I actually don't care mm. because uh, that's not why I'm doing this. Uh, I believe that you know health and fitness is something that should be democratized. I believe it's something that should be more inclusive, not exclusive. A lot of people feel that this is a game of haves versus have-nots. If I don't have a lot of money, I, I can't eat well or I can't exercise. And the level of what I provide in coaching is obviously uh, a different, like you get to work with me directly. So it's more of my FaceTime, but it doesn't mean that I'm not willing to work with you or not willing to provide plenty of free content that hopefully can help you out if you can't afford working with me. Everyone should be able to have uh, free access to information that can help them uh, live a healthier life, feel better, or you know, achieve their goals. And that's, that's just the way I feel about it. Yeah. And I apologize. You know, I know some people are tuning in Their You know, business stuff is not necessarily what they come to the show for. So I promise I'll move on in a second. But, you know, this is something that, you know, we have like half of the audience is personal trainers and strength coaches and stuff like that. So this is, you know, applicable to, to them. And, you know, it's always good if I'm, I'm very interested in this. Stuff, so I, I selfishly. Um, we, we can talk about the health and fitness stuff, but it does help in the right. fact, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, I would say the biggest problem in health and fitness is a lot of people oftentimes will look at a, you know, a friend or a peer or a family member and go, you know, why is this approach working for them, but not working for me? Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes it could be because 
uh, you know, genetics. Let's be honest, guys. Genetics play a huge factor in everything, and no one ever wants to account for that. But I mean, for four years, I was at Men's Health, and I would run the fitness shoots. And I can tell you, and we can share some behind-the-scenes stories of guys who look better than you and I will ever look and couldn't do a push-up correctly or couldn't mm-hmm. do a pull-up correctly. And genetics are going to, without a doubt, have an impact on like how we react to exercise. But the bigger picture here is just much like building a business. Uh, there's a lot of trial and error in finding a fitness program that works best for you. There are scientific principles that we know that work, but how they work for you is is going to vary. There there are people that respond really well to like can pack on a lot of muscle with a lot of volume versus packing a lot of muscle versus you know with with heavier you know lifts more intensity less frequency. Mm-hmm. There are people who can you know become shredded by doing a lot of cardio and maintain a lot of their muscle mass. Whereas other people, if they do a lot of cardio, they end up feeling terrible and they have to have like diet manipulations. It's the same thing. There, there, there is without a doubt this song and dance of a buffet of options uh, in business and health and fitness. And as a consumer, as someone who's trying to improve uh, the way they look, the way they feel, uh, the, you know, the corollaries between the two are incredibly strong. If you're going to build a good business, you got to invest in the long game. If you're going to build a good body, you got to invest in the long game. I mean, it, it sucks, but the reality is it takes a lot less time to you know screw up your body and gain a lot of weight and look like shit than it does to put in the time and effort to get really lean, be really strong, look incredible. It's not mm-hmm. to say that, uh, results won't happen month over month, but it's it's a long term investment. Like if people want to ask me, like I, I can tell you that 97% of the clients that I work with, 97%, I know this down to a number, <laughs> will achieve their goals if they're with me uh, for anywhere for six to nine months. Mm-hmm. Uh, a high percentage does it. I ask for people to work with me for a minimum of three months, but it's just like three months is a great period of time to see results, but really achieve your goals. It's long-term. I mean, my best looking clients from an aesthetic standpoint or from a results standpoint are people that I've been working with for one, two, three years. Because like it's it's a consistency game, and it's the same way with building your business. The same way with doing a book or a podcast. Like the more reps you put in, if you just don't quit, uh, one day you wake up and you're like, oh my goodness, I have a successful business. The same way that you one day wake up, and you're like, oh my goodness, I I have a great body. Uh, it's 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 looking at the the process goals versus the end goals. If someone wakes up every single day just obsessed with the number on the scale. I think it's a lot harder to make progress than if you are focusing on like, hey, am I eating protein in every single meal? Am I getting my vegetables in? Am I training consistently three to four times a week? You know, what, what am I doing from a diet standpoint? How is my sleep? If you focus on the processes involved and doing the right steps mm-hmm. rather than just like this, like how much money am I making or how much weight am I losing week by week? it's much easier for you to do the right things to get the right results. I want to pause just a minute to talk to you guys about our sponsor, Pedestal Footwear. I've been talking about them for the last couple of weeks, and I don't know if everyone has gone over to their website. You really should, though. Pedestalfootwear.com and see what they have to offer. I've talked multiple times about the benefits, and to be honest, I don't train in anything but these socks now. They're absolutely fantastic, and my favorite is the Terminator, Terminator 1.0. And these socks are available in uh, low cut, mid, and high. So you can get really any version that you want. And I love the Terminator. It's got the great black, red, and gray color scheme. And once you train in these, you won't want to train in anything else. And people, you, you may go in there and you'd be like, 
All right, I'm looking at the price right now, $25 for a pair of socks. No, it's not a pair of socks. It's footwear. It is basically what's going to be replacing your $100 or $200 pair of shoes. You can replace them with a $25 pair of socks that is going to last you a real long time, and you only need to wash them every three to five workouts. So if you buy two pairs, you spend $50, that means you're going to get free shipping on that order. You're going to have two pairs of socks that are going to last you throughout the week, and that's training six days a week out of seven, and then you can wash them on Sunday, and you'll be good to go on Monday. And trust me, I really believe if you go and try these socks out and you go train in them, you're going to be like, what, what, have I, what have I been doing? What have I been doing training in these thick-ass shoes, and I'm not getting you know the great benefits of barefoot training, plus you make sure that you have a stylish sock that is also not going to stink. It's going to make sure that you are protecting your feet from whatever could be on the ground, like the dirtiness, the grossiness of whatever, is that a word, grossiness of whatever can be on the ground? And you do that with these great pedestal footwear socks. And these guys have just been busting their butts to make the best product possible. And I know that if you go and try them out, you're going to absolutely love them. You can also check them out because they have wholesale offers as well. If you want to get them for your whole staff or for an event, even better. Go check them out at pedestalfootwear.com. Buy two pairs and they will ship free. Well, it's like, it's like, it's like, how do we convince people? How do we convince the people that we're working with to, instead of falling in love with, you know, get, get a six pack in you know, in 28 days before the summer starts. And then instead falling in love with the journey of just really loving the journey and the progress that you're going to get the slow progress, the realistic progress that you're going to get from, you know, actually doing what you need to do and not just, again, falling in love with, you know, magical, you know, programs that you see on the, on the covers of magazines. It's resetting expectations. I mean, the first month of my coaching is so much of like talking about what their goals are and how long I think it might take mm -hmm. to accomplish those goals so that we're on the same level because it can happen quicker, but I'm going to give someone a realistic outlook on how much time it will take to uh, see different steps of progress and let them know also what progress might look like so that they can easily identify like if they're going in the right direction with me or if they're not going in the right direction. Cause that's important because I don't want someone to just blind, uh, you know, to believe in me blindly. I want them yeah. to question me. And I, this is important. I think every, no coach should be hurt if a client asks questions about why are we doing this? What should I expect? That's good. Mm -hmm. now, but at the same time, you know, the, the, the client's job is to, if you get an explanation to put faith in it, even if it, goes against what you have been taught to believe or think you believe because a lot of times people are just following these terrible beliefs and one of the big terrible beliefs is the expectation of results. We have been programmed to believe in that magic bullet, magic pill effect of like, I can change this in four weeks and six weeks. We look at the outliers. We look at the testimonial of like the person who transformed in eight weeks and be like, why can't I have that? And like, maybe you can, but 99% of people are not going to see that rate of progress in this amount of time. Uh, you know, it's, it's just a reality and you have to hammer that in. And some people aren't going to want to hear that message, but you know, this is, you know, this is the damage that's been done by the media. And listen, I'm part of the media, so I will, I will own it. It's something I don't like in the industry and I'm trying to, to fight against. It's the damage that's been done by the supplement industry. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, we, Again, it goes back to what we were talking about. We're, we're selling the dream rather than selling the reality, or we're selling the dream rather than uh, giving people of the, of what's most value. And for a lot of people, what's most valuable is the psychological approach to be able to map out 
what is the progression? If I told you that you could go from mailroom to boardroom in four weeks, you would laugh at me. Mm-hmm. But we literally give the same exact message to people who are 30 pounds overweight. Exactly. And somehow they're just like, sweet, I believe this. And then four weeks later, they're like, no, I, I, I can't do this. You know, there, there's a wonderful uh, study, and I can't remember uh, who it was by. It was, uh, it's not, not a cause and effect, but it was uh, more of a survey correlational study that looked at uh, just dieting behaviors. And the average person, you know, goes on something about like 13 diets or plus over the course of a lifetime. Average person will uh, go on a diet for about six weeks. And it was about 50% of people drop off the diet after only uh, three weeks. And when someone drops off that diet after that six-week period, they go on a 14-week period when they're on no diet or no nutritional strategy. Mm-hmm. And, like, and we wonder why people get so frustrated. They get burnt out because you can just look at the ratio. Six weeks on, 14 weeks off. Six weeks on, 14 weeks off. It's, it's a losing proposition. Now, why are people dropping off at six weeks? Because we haven't programmed them to expect things the right way. And a lot of times we use smoke and mirrors to get them to see results in those, that initial period. And it leads to burnout. I mean, if there's one thing that, you know, I would change from, you know, we talked about entering the alpha from before and uh, maybe John wouldn't change it because this was his dietary approach. Uh, it was one that I without a doubt supported, but I do things differently now with coaches. You know, we had an insulin reset in the first phase of the book. Mm-hmm. It was just going super low carbs. Uh, I no longer believe in that. You see great results initially from weight loss. A lot of it is just because of carb depletion and carb manipulation. Mm-hmm. But I think for a lot of people can actually back them into a corner and create a premature plateau. Because if you drop carbs down so low uh, initially in any diet plan, you know, carbs are one of the manipulations that you do to get people to, to lose weight. Mm-hmm. But if I drop it down to almost nothing, and that's four weeks or five weeks in, well, I've already limited myself to figure out you know, what I can manipulate next. So when I create diet plans, and this is something you know, I've worked with some of the best diet minds around, you know, I've learned a lot from Alan Eric and Mike Roussel and Nate Miyake and you know, I could go on and on like I've invested a lot of time in the nutritional side of things trying to understand it from a behavioral as well as like a scientific standpoint and you know for me it's like I would rather start people with as much carbs as possible and then uh, when they hit that plateau then I can manipulate carbs or I can mm. manipulate fats or I can manipulate cardio or I can manipulate you know total time in the gym I want to give myself as many variables that I have wiggle room so that like we can almost like once the plateau or the friction occurs, we can manipulate and see more progress, manipulate and see more progress. But if I, you know, put that tank on empty so fast that like you're going to see great results within four weeks, but then you're not going to see anything else for so long because it's so like, again, we've prematurely put you in a plateau. That's where the frustration occurs. So I want to set you up with a plan initially where you can understand how quickly you might be able to lose weight or gain muscle, but then not make it with a situation where it's like, oh my God, you just, it's like you shoot out of the gate with all these results and then nothing happens. And I think a lot of programs do that. They, they manipulate what we know about nutritional science to get a lot of initial results, but leave you ultimately frustrated in the long term. Well, can, I mean, uh, speaking on the, like the side of the, the fitness industry media, can you put that genie back in the bottle of like, you know, the, the covers and like the, the things that you're seeing on, you know, at the checkout or at magazine stands that, that are supposed to sell magazines. Can you realistically put that back in the bottle and still sell those magazines? I I think you can. I don't think it's going to happen. You almost have to rewrite the rules of 
of marketing to do that. And again, all these magazines I contribute to, they create great content, but you know, yeah. what is happening is at the, you know, the subconscious level. Like we, we don't lack solutions from uh, physiology, exercise science, nutrition science. We lack solutions from psychology and sociology. And it's, mm-hmm. it's funny to say that because like how, how much are you going to deep, uh, you know, dig into that stuff on the psychological level in some of these like mainstream media magazines, but you, you almost have to do that because it's the same thing we talked about. And during the alpha and I've talked about in many books, you know, we have to, you know, unlearn what we have learned. Uh, you know, the same reason why people believe they have to eat breakfast or they have to have multiple meals a day or they can't eat late at night or they have to eat within 30 minutes of a workout. You've got 20, 30, maybe more years of the, the same message that, you know, we've almost just accepted it as true. Mm-hmm. Just as we have accepted as true that if my body can't change when I put in four weeks of consistent work, it must mean that my body is broken. This is my body. I'm stuck with it. Nothing will ever change. Why do I even put the, put the effort in it? It's a psychological concept known as learned helplessness. And, you know, we, we have to, can we undo it? Yeah. Will these publications do it? I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's smoke and mirrors that are there. You know, I think it was Women's Health that said uh, another great publication, but, you know, said they're not going to use like bikini body on the cover. But like if you're still throwing women up in bikinis and telling people that like this is what a good body looks like, uh, that's a whole nother, you know, body image issue that we, that we would have to tackle. But I mean, on the surface, it's not there. But from a, a latent intelligence, we're, we're still taking in the same messages. We're just putting different labels on them. And uh, I, I think it's really, you know, the beautiful thing, this is where the internet does come in handy. The internet is dangerous because you get so much bad information, but the internet is, you know, effective and advantageous because it, it means that there aren't as many gatekeepers of information. Mm-hmm. If we have people like you, Kevin, who are putting out information and all the wonderful experts that, that we've worked for, uh, you know, or work with that have their blogs or podcasts or vlogs or whatever it is that they are doing and putting information out there or using social media to debunk myths, you know, we can chip away at this. It's, it's a long process. It's not an easy one, but I mean, to affect change, you know, it's kind of what has to happen, especially when there's been so much damage has already been done. So I do believe that we can flip the switch on it, but it's a team effort. In all honesty, it's why I do what I do. I realized a long time ago that if I wanted to have the biggest impact in the fitness and nutrition industry, it couldn't just be about me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't care if I got any recognition. Most people have no idea what I do or the brands or individuals that I work with. And that's fine with me. But as long as I am helping the right people reach more people or helping the big brands reach more people with a better message, really get on the inside and uh, fight those battles that people don't see behind the lines of how do I go about and make sure that, you know, the information that these big brands are pushing out is better than doing my job. You know, I, I went in, I was editorial director for livestrong.com for several years. And at one point we became the largest website on the web, bigger than WebMD, bigger than everything. But what a lot of people didn't see was the first six months of my job there. All I did was remove content from that site. I removed more than a hundred thousand pieces of content. One hundred. I, I read until my eyes bled because, uh, nothing against my former employer. It was really bad content and it was dangerous. And there's a social responsibility there that people would read that and take it as gospel and then go and practice this stuff. And I couldn't have that on my site. I felt even though I wasn't there when that content was created, it was there on my site. And before I could even focus on creating what was better, I had to take down and remove what was damaging. And that was my pet project. And, you know, I, I made that, uh, while I was there, while I was running that site, my, 
you know, my goal and my focus was to get rid of more of the bad stuff by, you know, you know, I, I can't change the world unless, you know, I get in the, the hands and the heads of the people who have the biggest audience. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just kind of how I do it. So, and there are a lot of other people who are doing the same thing. So we, we chip away and, and try and do it. But at some level, you know, marketing is marketing. Businesses fall on practices that they know help them sell magazines or make money and do that. And, and the hope is if they have to use those tactics, that the information behind it or the programs that they use, or the diets that they follow, the workouts that they practice are good. You know, if we're still going to use those practices that on a psychological level uh, set false expectations, uh, it's not an ideal situation, but we can minimize the damage by at least having people practice stuff that uh, is sustainable. Mm-hmm. And that's really the bigger picture. Like give people stuff that they can do for a lifetime and, uh, you know, hopefully they will be comfortable enough that even if they aren't seeing results as quickly as they'd like, they don't have a reason to quit or stop doing it so they can keep doing it and eventually they'll get where they need to go. Love it. Love it. Um, but before we get to the, get to the end, um, because you, you are kind of knee deep in this stuff. Um, I'm, I'm curious of any trends that you're seeing in the, in the industry or any just kind of stuff in general, that's really, that's intriguing you. That's like making a like, man, like we got to keep an eye on this going forward. Uh, there's nothing that, that's absolutely blowing my mind right now. And maybe, <laughs> you know, it's the, the, the problem is I just, I'm, I'm too close to this stuff. The, the biggest yeah. thing that, that the biggest industry is that like uh, the biggest tactic that I would say that's blowing my mind is that we, we still over assume how much people know and like getting back to the basics yeah. and mastering the basics is what's so uh, important. Mm-hmm. We've become an industry that, you know, we make fun of the sensational cells like the, uh, you know, I, I got no issue with them, but like people will like, freak out about the, the paleo diets or the gluten free movements and all these mm-hmm. things are blown out of proportion. But you know, what those people do is they major in the minor, mm-hmm. but so many in the industry do the exact same thing. They try and focus on the one exercise or the best exercise or the worst exercise. And I don't understand why they're thinking so myopically when the, instead they should just be focusing on the big picture stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if, if people got really proficient at just the basics of movement at just the basics of strength training at just the basics of nutrition and never worried about the minutia, never worried about the 10 to 20%, we'd be a lot better off. But, you know, we, we all get the, the tendency to uh, you know major in the minor, if you will, is the downfall of most programming. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, it's only the top five percent that needs to major in the minor because they've already mastered everything else. So I would say that the, the biggest shift that needs to occur and the people that do it best is getting back to focusing on the big rocks and really make sure that there is like a level of mastery. If we got people to a level of mastery, and whatever, if they want to move better, if they want to remove pain, if they want to become stronger, if they want to build muscle, if they want to lose fat, there are fundamental principles that take a lot of time to master. Like we have a lot of people who like want to learn how to like Olympic lift and they'll like do the lifts a couple times and like then we move on to progressions. But we're like, it can take years to master these lifts. Like years. And we, we have to set that expectation. So again, uh, focus on that level of mastery is a thing that, uh, to me, if, if I could bestow what I would love to see change, that would go like, "Wow, this is really going to make a big difference." That's that's what it would be, uh, you know. And I, I think that's where the biggest change ends up occurring. And again, there, there's going to be a lot of great tactics out there. You're gonna, you know, from the business side of things, there's everything that goes on with group training and online training. From the training side of things, everything with the with the hit and the wearable devices and a quantified self and, you know, and, and frequency versus not as frequent workouts. Like all, all of these are tools that can work. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I hate to sound so, uh, I guess, ambivalent or agnostic about it, but it's the truth. A lot of things can work, both in the diet and exercise stuff. If you guys can hear, that's my, my little eight-month-old son <laughs> who's crying. He's upset. He hears me. He feels my pain. Right. Uh, no, I, he understands. He, he gets it. Um, so, it, you know, that, that's where the, the focus has to be and you know only graduate when you're ready and the, the example would be there's a there's a wonderful like ad, you know, educational program called the Khan Academy mm-hmm. and Khan Academy teaches people by learning on a, on a progression of mastery you know in traditional schooling you know each week there's a different lesson it doesn't matter if you mastered the previous lesson or not we're moving on to the next lesson whether you're ready or not and that works for a lot of people but it doesn't work for a lot of people probably doesn't work for a lot more people whereas Khan Academy only progresses you on to the next level on whatever you're trying to learn once you've learned to master it. And that should be the same thing. If you know that you're not being completely compliant with, like even if it's something as simple, like if you've got a program that you're supposed to work out three days a week and you can't get in three days a week, you can't accurately assess the effectiveness of the program if you're not being 80 to 90% compliant with that. And, Love it. And, that, and that's where we should break these things down. Break everything down into the components that make them work and nice. ask yourself, you know, what do I need to do to be compliant with the components and you'll succeed whatever you decide uh, on the diet or exercise side. Well, let's. Uh, I, I think that's a perfect place to to, to wrap things up for today. But um, I want you to make sure that you're continuing to follow everything that that Adam's doing, just because you know. Again, you're. <laughs> You're putting together just tons of great information. And again, you're, you're, you are kind of the filter for a lot of people these days. And um, there's a couple things that I want you to check out first, uh, at Born Fitness on Twitter. Uh, and of course, uh, as you mentioned, bornfitness.com uh, is your website. Anything else that people should be keeping an eye out for or, or things that you're working on that, that, are, that are coming down the road that you can talk about? Uh, I, I love talking with everyone. So yeah, it's at Born Fitness on Twitter, same on Facebook, same on Instagram. If people are interested on the business side of things and just, you know, even if we're just kind of picking my brain, the, the consulting, my consulting company is called pen name. So it's PenName.co. But if you type in pen name consulting, you'll find it. And, uh, depending on when this goes up, if anyone does want to, uh, uh come visit and hang out with me in Boulder, I am putting on a, uh, an event there and it's, it's really designed for business. There will be personal trainers there. There'll be CEOs, entrepreneurs, and it's, it is more of a think tank intensive program. I, I love going to conferences, but the biggest limitation with conferences, you sit in an audience and, uh, there's a big gap between you and the speakers. So I'm, <laughs> I, I don't call my speakers speakers. I call them mentors because mm-hmm. the, there's only gonna be 75 people at this event and there's going to be round tables with eight to 10 people at round table. You've got a mentor at the table, you've got an hour with them. And then you're going to have eight of those different mentors spread across, uh, two days. We've got four different keynotes. I mean, some great people like John Berardi is going to be one of the keynote speakers, you know, the awesome. founder of precision nutrition. We've got a great cast of people that, you know, it's, it's meant to be intense. It'll be Ryan fun. Holiday. I'm jealous, man. Big fan yeah. of his. Holy Ryan crap. Holiday will be there. You know, we got Noah Kagan who started AppSumo. We got people, I mean, Derek Flansreich who started the site greatest, which is one of the fastest growing health mm-hmm. websites. I mean, we've got people across the board. I mean, in, in all sides of online and offline, I'm a huge nut butter fan. A lot of people who like follow me know this. I love peanut butter, almond butter, cashew butter, you name it. Uh, Justin Gold, who founded Justin's Nut Butter, which mm-hmm. just sold estimates are saying that for maybe more than $300 million, a guy that literally wow. built a nut butter uh, industry out of like the back of his van and is now, you know, just absolutely killing it. He's going to be there talking about, you know, the entrepreneurial journey and doing things the right way. And again, take it. He was a 10 year overnight success. 
Mm-hmm. People look at it like, wow, you just sold your company for hundreds of millions of dollars. And it's like, well, you know, it kind of took 10 years to get there. <laughs> first couple of years is me scratching and clawing and, you know, exactly. like forcing my way into events. So if uh, you're interested in that stuff, but I always love talking. I always love chatting. This is uh, why I do what I do. So either Porn Fitness, pen name, and the name of the event is 212. So it's mm. T-W-O and then 1-2, 212. And the reason for that is 212 degrees is boiling point. And at 211, water's hot. At 211 or 212, water is boiling. So sometimes that one degree of difference can make all the difference. And uh, I'm trying to help people figure out what that one degree is. Awesome. And it's at uh, TWO12.io, 212.io. That's the one. Man, that's a hell of a lineup. Holy crap. Um, yeah, and as we're recording, only eight spots left. So if you if you are interested, uh, jump on that uh, immediately. Head over there and, and, and check it out. And uh, again, seriously, thank you so much for, for taking the time. It's been, like you said, it's been too damn long. So we'll make sure that does not happen again. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll bump into each other uh, sometime down the road. Yeah, that would be great. Thanks, Kevin. Always a pleasure to be on here. All right, that's it for this episode. Don't forget to go to FitCast.network for the rest of the shows on the FitCast Network. And of course, if you enjoyed this, please subscribe on iTunes. And if you really enjoyed and you want to help me produce these episodes, go to patreon.com slash the FitCast. You can support the show starting at just dollar per episode. You get shows early. And again, it just means so much for everyone that believes in this stuff enough to uh, support it financially. Thank you so much. And we will see you next week. Take care.